0: Welcome to chapter 20 of the Kinsmen Die podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsmen Die, one chapter at a time. Every 10 chapters or so, I recap the key plot points and provide some insight into the myths I've referenced in the book, as well as some of the creative choices I've made along the way. Before I start with chapter 20, here's a quick summary of what's gone before. In chapter 16, we were with Hoder, the son of Frigg and Odin, as he mucked out some stables and remembered the man, the warrior, he'd been. In chapter 17, Frigg pulled double duty, damage control for her husband and as a mom to hermit. In chapter 18, Vidar engaged the enemy without and within, and it didn't go well for him. In chapter 19, Loki said goodbye to his wife and sons. Whatever they're doing, they appear to have all taken sides against the Asir. And in this chapter, we're back with Odin as he arrives at the battlefield outside of Halls. As Doug Markaita says, let's do this. Chapter 20, Odin. Odin lifted Gugnir free, threw a leg over his saddle, and slid from Sleipnir's back. Beneath his feet, the grass lay flat against the hard-packed earth. In some places, it had been trampled into the ground itself, mixed with blood and gore and then frozen solid. Bodies lay scattered in grotesque contortions. Odin glanced behind him and caught a glimpse of Baldr's sorrowful expression, his lips a bloodless, tight line. Saglund approached and bowed stiffly, disgust, plain on his face. We're ready, Sigfather. Indeed they were. The Einherjar had formed a shield wall and had begun marching forward. How odd that Saglund should show such revulsion. He had fought a dozen campaigns against the Jotun and distinguished himself in the last Jotun war. His valor was partly why Odin had given him command of the Aenhrar. Is something wrong, Hairsir? he asked. Saglin's expression went hard. It's just that I understand now what you meant, Sigfather. From high above, his ravens gave a raucous cry. Odin tapped a finger next to his eye. It gets worse, and this may be a fight these Aenhrar have never fought. I'm confident they are up to the challenge, Sigfather. Saglin replied, pitching his voice to carry above the trampling boots as. To Asir deep all around, the Einharar wall parted to engulf the stationary Odin, Baldr, and Sagland, and reform with them in the center. Then let's go, Herr, sir, he said, clapping Sagland on the shoulder. He pointed north along the bloody trail. If it were not obvious, Hugen and Munin say we need to head that way. As they walked, stepping over or around the Jotun corpses, he sent a thought back to his ravens. Watch for falcons. After the shield wall crawled past a particularly large pile of corpses, he called Gungnir to his hand. Halt here. He lowered Gungnir so her blade was parallel to the ground and waved her tip back and forth as if divining for water. She twitched in his hand and pointed directly ahead toward the heap of wrecked bodies. He strode to the pile, kicking broken weapons out of his way. When he was directly before the bodies, Gungnir twitched again. He slammed the spear butt-first into the ground and dragged the topmost corpse off the pile. Saglin barked in order. Several Harar sprang over to assist, as did Baldr. When they had dragged the top layers of corpses aside and arrayed them all in a line, Odin retrieved Gungnir and held her blade parallel to the ground. He walked slowly down the line of bodies until she twitched in his hand. Swiftly, he raised Gungnir high and reversed her so her blade faced downward. Baldr must have seen it coming. Father, wait, I might... Odin let Gungnir slam down into the Jotun she had selected. The warrior's ribs fractured with a sharp crack, and the Jotun himself shuddered, moaned softly, and went limp. The spear's blade, what little of it showed, glowed golden around the edges. "'You should have let me tend him, father,' Balder," said, skidding to a halt opposite him. "'Alive, he could have told us what happened, why they attacked.' Gognir's glow intensified and drew a mist from the Jotun's broken chest. The glow dimmed and the mist thickened. "'The Jotun hate us, Baldr. They always have. That's why they attacked.' He ripped Gungner back out, fresh gore dripping a crimson trail, and made small circles in the air, wrapping what was left of the Jotun spirit around her blade. The real question is this. Where is Vidar and his warband? Baldur knelt beside the dead Jotun warrior, removed the man's helm, and closed his eyes. Seen in Sol's long light, the Jotun's brow appeared less heavy than he knew it was, the nose less broad. The Jotun's skin had gone gray in death. Balder then laid one of the warrior's thick-fingered, hairy hands across his barrel of a chest. An eager, ululating shriek ripped toward them from across the plains. Balder rose abruptly. Mutters ran through the Einhar, leather armor creaking in the silence. The weapons banged and tinged against their shields. Odin exhaled and cast his mind upward, seeking Hugin and Munin. Sharp-eyed though they were, all his ravens could see was a black clump not far beyond the circle of their warband. He sent his mind next toward his wolves. Gary was closest, near the high ridge. He felt a rumbling growl building in the wolf's chest. He sniffed the air, fresh blood, but something wrong about it. Gary's hackles rose, and he snarled. Odin slipped into Freki's mind and caught the same scent Gary had, a rotting wrongness woven with the steaming stench of stomachs spilled open. It stalks you, pack father. Freki thought to him. He inhaled and fell back into his body. Saglan, quick, sound the horn, form the shield wall. He lifted Gungnir and ignited the spirit cloud he had wrapped around the blade. For those with the sight, it burned gold and bright. Silvery, the horn pealed out. A tortured shriek answered. Geri howled a challenge. It comes now, Peckfather, Freki said in his mind. Brace yourselves, he shouted. He rammed Gungnir into the ground, the Jotun spirit burning bright along her blade. Odin reached into his satchel and withdrew his spool of witch thread. Working quickly, he unscrewed the cap on Gungnir's cross brace, hung the spool, replaced the cap, and with a quick jerk of his arm, unspooled a long strand. The beastly roar echoed again, the sound bearing down on them. Sagland called out, and the Einherjar fell back a dozen paces, tightening the wall around Odin, Baldur, and Sagland himself. Odin flicked his wrist, sending the thread out to pierce the back of the Einherjar nearest the approaching roar, and began to sing the charm he had taught Vidar. He pulled more thread free, directing it toward the Einherjar with one hand, while the other wove it through the leather and steel circle of warriors around them. He sang in the shields, softly, the golden glow of his charm giving them strength. The Einharar fought in fours, two warriors in front with shields and axes guarding two warriors behind with long spears. The pulling hooks on those spears glinted in Saul's reddish, fading smile. Something huge slammed into the shield wall, those in the first rank buckled beneath the impact of something wide and heavy and black. They were driven back two steps, then three, but they held. They stumbled forward slightly as whatever had hit them pulled away. "'Reform!' Zaglin shouted, his voice high and tight. He raised his horn and blew a silvery peel. Odin flung another golden thread into the Einhar, weaving it back around on itself. The weaving would lend the charm greater strength. "'From your left, Wingfather!' Hugin whispered from high above. Odin thrust an arm in that direction, the song pouring from his lips. "'Left flank! Brace yourselves!' Zaglin cried. He dropped the horn and drew his sword. Like a landslide, the beast struck the shield wall. The line flexed inward, shields squealing beneath huge, shaggy paws that flashed with knife-sized talons. Spears bit, flexed, and then splintered with loud pops as the beast pressed forward, head low, haunches high. The creature swung his heavy head back and forth, sword-long horns catching warriors and batting them down or flinging them upward. Odin could see the weave unraveling where the beast struck. It began looking more like threadbare knees of trousers than whole cloth. It would tear soon enough. The beast was trying to reach him and the Jotun spirit swirling around Gungnir. That much was clear. These warriors were no threat to it. Only he was. So, he sang on, his fingers dancing as he strengthened the weave. It alone kept the bodies of his men whole, despite the fraying that happened every time the beast's talons or horns slammed into them. With a massive crash, the beast burst through the shield wall, throwing warriors aside. Its horns glowed dark red where they terminated in a bony plate on its forehead. The eyes below those horns were green and vicious. He knew those eyes. He knew what, who, this thing was. Odin reached for Gungnir even as the beast began her charge. Saglin screamed out a challenge and threw himself in the way and then Siglin was down, having tripped or slipped on some soft patch of churned earth or detritus. It didn't matter either way, since the beast, the Disir, would be on him in a heartbeat, and he hadn't worked the charm on himself. The beast swelled in Odin's vision, gore-stained horns lowered matted, hairy shoulders, making even the bone plate that stretched across its neck behind the horns look small. And then his view was eclipsed by Baldur leaping in front of him, arms spread wide. Sol emerged from behind a low cloud and made Baldr's dark-blonde hair shine redly. Odin's fingers closed around Gungnir's smooth wood. The spear fairly leaped from the ground, and he swung it upward to block, however he could, the beast's long talons. There came a meaty impact, and Baldr was batted sideways, tumbling away beyond his vision. The breathy roar that washed over him stank like low tide. Odin invoked a rune word, and the manacle tattooed around the beast's right foreleg seared to brightness in his witch sight. The disir stumbled, haunches bunching for another charge. She shrieked at him in a voice colder than the north wind. He spun free a length of thread and flicked it toward the disir, singing a new charm. Fast as thought, the thread darted into the earth in front of the beast. Grasses climbed up around its scaly legs like grasping vines on a thick, bold tree. The disir roared again and strained against the roots. Odin repeated the charm, and more grasses wound around her back, fur matted with blood and gore and snaked around her heavy, scaled haunches and thick neck. He met her gaze, eyes hard. Not so easy with one who knows you, Dissir. With a sound like a ship's stout mast breaking in a storm, the Dissir ripped one foreleg free from the grasses binding it. She roared, spittle frothing and dripping from her toothy lower jaw. Odin pulled free the last, long thread wrapped around the spindle. He showed it to her, doubled and tripled between his hands, held arm's length apart. More than enough here, child of the Gap. The Disir's struggles redoubled. He spoke a second rune. The tattoos hidden beneath the thick fur flared to life, and it went as stiff as if the joint had locked up. Odin's fingers danced delicately as he sent more thread at her. With each additional rune word he spoke, the tattoos on her legs and neck flared bluer and brighter. In time with each flare, the Disir's struggles grew slower. She roared and twitched and thrashed, her hind legs gouging great furrows in the frozen ground. Some of the grasses binding her did pop and tear, but those fetters no longer mattered. He had powered and invoked the runes. In a moment, he would revert the changes the Disir had wrought in his son's flesh. For this Disir, this spirit, was Vidar's Fulgja. It had known exactly what Odin was doing. Her stolen breath was hot on his face. Her chest heaved as she tried to break free. She flicked her head and tried to gouge him with her horns, her emerald eyes blazing with hatred. Odin laughed. You had your fun, but now I want my son back. He cast the last loop of thread at her, singing, and the grasses dragged her flat till she lay like a dog sleeping on its side. He knelt beside her and touched the first tattoo around her right foreleg. He spoke a word. Binda. Cracked the air and the disir shrieked. The Einharar warriors staggered away, hands clutching their ears. He touched the tattoo on the fogia's right upper leg and spoke another word. Brot. This word bit the air like an axe striking a tree. The fogia shrieked again. The bestial quality sounded farther away, while the man's voice sounded closer. And more like his son's voice. The ice-blue light from the first tattoo mingled with the loops of satyr around the second, like merging streams, they flowed up and wound around the tattoo about the Fulgias' neck and then down its other side. The entire, massive body before him flexed, trying to throw off the fetters of light. He raised a hand and they tightened further, constricting like serpents from steamy Alfheim. He touched the tattoos on the Disir's upper and lower left leg and spoke the same words again. Binda. Brot. You are chained, Disir. By my power you withdraw and become, once again, a Fulgia. He stood and held both hands over the creature before him. I bind you, and so will my son return. Remember yourself, Vidar. He licked his thumb and bent forward to trace a single rune on his son's forehead. He spoke the word, Muna. A hiss slithered from the Fulgia's mouth. Her eyes darted this way and that looking for escape. Her limbs shuddered and bulged with effort, but she couldn't move. The wicked green light of the tempest in her eyes faded. He wiped his thumb on his sleeve, licked it again, and raised it to trace another rune on the fulgur's broad, scaly chest. The fur there was sticky with blood and sweat. He traced the rune. Hlyot. Inside the constraining threads of light, the fulgur shuddered and its breath rasped. The beast's body faded, shuddered, and shrank, regaining its original shape. Odin's shadow lay heavy across the brown grasses and roots, humped over Vidar like a barrow. He put his hands on his hips and exhaled long and slow as he turned his face up to the sky, eyes closed. He listened to the creak of the Einharar's armor, their harsh breathing and the chilly breeze rasping against the ground like a serpent's scales across stone. Took you long enough to get back, Odin said, turning a tired smile on Baldur. Baldr's clothes hung in tatters, but the skin beneath was whole, proving the value of the sacrifice Odin and Frigg had made, and of the old magic she'd used at Baldr's birth. He flung me quite far, Baldr replied, and then gestured at Vidar. So is that how they all look? The Dysir? No, they, they look how they choose. I want him up and moving as quickly as possible. After what he just went through, I'd be surprised if he's conscious inside a week. Time is exactly what they did not have. He may need it, but I need him back in him with us. Balder frowned. He won't like that, and I, susp- and I won't enjoy dealing with your mother's anger if I take too long to get back. Get it done, Balder. Use your new potions if necessary. Balder forced a sunny smile, but weariness clouded his clear blue eyes. Potions? I haven't... Odin held up a hand. Spare me. Freaky smelled them and told me. Balder laughed. Well, that's hardly fair. Long before you were born, the Jotun tried to steal Yggdrasil's fruit. Ever since, I keep at least an eye and nose on them. So if you knew and let me continue, then you don't mind how I've been using them? Odin shrugged. Let me put it this way. What you're doing benefits us and may do so even beyond what you've already discovered. But make sure folk believe it's you and your arts healing them. Yggdrasil's fruits are fundamental to our grip on power. I will do what it takes to keep them secret. Baldur's good humor slowly drained away as he understood what those words meant. All right, father. Good. He pointed at Vidar again. Now, ply your arts. Somehow, the Jotun had gotten to Hulls. He'd nearly lost one of his sons because of it. Could they do it again? If they could, it might not be a bad thing. Well, folks, that was Chapter 20 of Kinsmen Die. I hope you enjoyed it. We experienced Odin plying his magical arts against the spirit which took control of Vidar's body and shaped it to her will. Next week, we finally meet Vathrunir. I can't wait. Please take a few moments and rate or review the podcast. That provides valuable feedback for me and helps boost the show's visibility, as does sharing it. And if you're so inclined, please shoot me an email at mattbishopwrites at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm going to read from the Havamal, Sayings of the High One, Odin, and I'll be reading from the Bellows and the Larrington translations. Bellows, verse 20. The greedy man, if his mind be vague, will eat till sick he is. The vulgar man, when among the wise, to scorn by his belly is brought. Larrington, verse 20. The greedy man, unless he guards against this tendency, will eat himself into lifelong trouble. Often when he comes among the wise, the foolish man's stomach is laughed at. Thanks for listening.